everybody and welcome to episode 70 of Penny Red. I'm Daniel Hodges. And I'm Sean Hayworth. And joining us tonight is a good friend of ours, uh, project manager at Evil Hat, uh, wearer of many hats, not all of them evil, uh, organizer of Big, Big Bad Con, Mr. Sean Hayworth. <laughs> I almost called you Sean Hayworth. It's only like two steps I've seen so far. What a lightweight. I, I uh, knew you were going to do that when Daniel asked if you could introduce Sean Nitton or Sean Hayworth. I, yep. I, I, I was just sure it was going to happen. Well, hello. Uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. <laughs> well, after that ham-fisted uh, introduction, um, before we before we kick on into the uh, the show, while Sean Hayworth has still got some, uh, has actually managed to going to speak clearly. Um, I got a uh, a message from a listener. Um, relating to what we talked about last week, and Sean Hayworth and Sean Nittner are both experts of burning wheels, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut for the next little bit. But um, this listener was asking about, um, first of all, um, uh, changing um, burning wheel, or at least adapting burning wheel, to a post-apocalyptic um, 2107 game. Now, it's not post-apocalyptic in as much as there was a virus or a... Um, you know, like a nuclear weapon or something. It was something much more serious than that. The electricity went out and uh, all of those electric sort of things that were like maybe a polar, a polarity shift or something. I didn't get those details, but bottom line, there's no electricity. There hasn't been for a hundred years. So that sort of affected life and as much as it's gone back to a semi-feudal sort of uh, state. Could you use burning wheel for that scenario? And if so, how would you adapt it? Hmm. That's, uh, that's tricky. Cause I, uh, if it was just like regular future, Right. Excuse me. Uh, I would say Burning Wheel itself, not such a great choice. Right. Uh, I, and I'm not sure that it's such a great choice, even like with the with the tweak to the setting. Uh, but uh, but you can strip out a lot of the the meta mechanics of Burning Empires and uh, use some of the lower tech index uh, bits and pieces in there uh, to do a, a pretty passable uh, modern day setting. Um, but this sounds like it is a regressive modern setting where it is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely it's meant, yeah. It's meant to do so. What you'd have to do, so a, a big a big challenge that you'd have is that the life path system is a huge chunk of the game, and it's the way the characters are built. But it also kind of is also the direction that they're going to be going um, based on the 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 life paths they take and the the skills and the traits that they that those generate, and. I mean, if all you want to do is just re- just say this is the future, but it works like like fantasy, then you can just say that and play Burning Wheel. But if you want to actually incorporate post-apocalyptic elements, you're going to have to bake those in to the life paths and to, and to the character burning. And, um, I mean, you may not need Firefight from, from Burning Empires because it sounds like the conflicts may be fought with sword and crossbow and mm. and burning wheel might be fine for it but it's not going to really have like any mechanical impact or or significance unless you're willing to go and start either reskinning some of the life paths and calling them by different things or actually creating new ones and creating new appropriate traits i think traits would be the big thing that would make it stand out to me and possibly some skills i mean they're probably because they're because I can't imagine we would lose all of the knowledge we have right now. So some right. of those skills would have right. to be reflected. Yeah, yeah. There, there actually used to be a uh, a post-apocalyptic burning wheel setting uh, called right. Under a Serpent Sky. 
or under a serpent sun, uh, which I think I still have a PDF of somewhere uh, on my hard drive. Uh, but it was actually pulled by Luke and company because it just never worked. Like it just didn't, it didn't do the things that they needed it to do to make it a functional game. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It, uh, reskinning the life paths works fairly well. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it, it's tricky because, because the life pass is written is uh, pretty much straight up 14th century France and, and, you know, pretty solidly, like in that medieval vein, uh, right. well, the humans one are the humans. Yes, are yes, are. yes. The mm. the life paths of men. Um, what you can do if if the life paths aren't doing it for you and it's going to be a pain in the butt is pick up the monster burner and just monster burn all your characters. You you get custom traits if you need them to be weird. Like somehow you can you can do that. You don't have to go through the life path. Uh, yeah. system it's it's like a really complicated point by i don't think uh what kind of once you get it down it would take significantly longer but it's also not something i would recommend for beginning players yeah that's what i was just going to say is that the monster burner is a challenge to use when you're used to already burning characters it's a, it's another in terms of technical difficulty it's another level of challenge uh, on top of that. So I would never want to say, oh, you're going to make a new character. Just monster burn it. Like, if this is the first time you've made a character, you would, right. you could yeah. do it, but it would be challenging and you wouldn't have a good sense of what the traits mean and what the values mean because you weren't familiar with the game. And if you had burned up a bunch of characters and played, you'd get a sense of, okay, this is, get a sense of uh, what, what the significance of something was. So, yeah, you can, but. I don't particularly think Burning Wheel is a, um, I think, minor derivations on the fantasy setting. Like, what fantasy setting you want, it's totally great. Right. But I'm not, I don't think it's a great system to go hacking to wildly different settings. It's no, it's, it's not made for that. Yeah, it's it's very resistant right. to tinkering because everything's built in so tightly. So when you start, like, right. when you start futzing with stuff and start, like, tweaking rules to, to match your setting... Like things will go haywire very quickly, hmm. and in unexpected ways. Uh, I would recommend right. an apocalypse world. Yeah, right. yeah. I was gonna say there's a there's some great yeah. games to do that. Um, or if you wanted to have sure. um, a game that was not about savagery in post-apocalyptic but rebuilding, I'd recommend Quiet Year. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. But I I wouldn't say Burning Wheel. Would not be my go-to. Okay, so Quiet Years by whom? Who made Quiet Years? Joe McDondolo. Okay. So. All right. Perfect. Okay, so let's assume, though, that uh, this person, because I've got a couple of other questions here, and there may be something that other people are interested in. It's certainly something I'm interested in uh, myself, which is we sort of did, we didn't talk a lot about it, um, but in terms of uh, resolving small uh, physical conflicts, mm -hmm. how that uh, – how because that goes a little bit also into um, into Torchbearer as well. Like, how do you sort of gloss over these small conflicts? Like, how does that um, how does that play out? Actually, incredibly elegantly. That's one of the nice things about Burning Wheel is that it's it's got a, a uh, it's got a really good zoom control uh, yeah, sort of right. built into the mechanics. Uh, most things, uh, if they are if they're really unimportant, like if if it's really just an obstacle to to overcome, like right. you know, it's it's a it's a, a chasm you have to jump over disguised as a dude with a sword. Right. Really. Yep. 
you right. can just resolve it in one roll. Like yeah. you, you could even make it a static static obstacle. Sure. Like yeah, this, oh, this you... guard knocking out this guard is going to be an ob three sword sword check to uh, to knock him out uh, without him being able to pull the alarm. Right. And you know, and then the consequence of that might be that you knock him out, but he pulls the alarm, or the consequence might be that he. Uh, you know, catches you in advance and now you're in a dialogue with them. I mean, um, like, it, yeah, it's totally fine if the, if the conflict is small to, um, uh, to, to make it a very simple mechanic. Also, Burning Wheel really encourages you not to roll on stupid stuff. Yes. Like, if you're a badass sword fighter and there's, like, two, you know, scrappy peasants that are, you know, accosting you, it's totally reasonable to be like, I kick their asses. And you're like, yeah, you do. You don't yeah, yeah. Asses. and yeah. that that might cause consequences. That might cause the town yes. to be upset that you're, yes. you know, you yes. just stabbed a peasant. But like that might be interesting. But the fight yes. probably isn't. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so going along a little bit with that, is there um, much character advancement um, after your character has been burned in terms of how skillful they are? Oh God, yes. <laughs> Okay, it, it sort of depends. If you have a very, very, very powerful character that is extremely skilled in the things you're going to be doing most, then it's challenging to advance the character. Right. But if you burn a character with like the recommended four life paths, you're going to suck at so many things, and you're only going to be pretty good at a lot of things, and you might be badass at one or two things. And everything right. you're not unbelievably badass with it start you're going to be constantly advancing it's really yeah. satisfying like every game right. you're like i got three checks over here i got you know i got uh, three tests over here and I, you know and i got a routine one here and i got a difficult one there it's right you're you're constantly getting uh advancements in small so is that guy that's uh is that guard or those peasants are they ever going to be a sufficiently large problem that it's not just a one roll check oh yeah could be yeah okay yeah i mean it 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 depends. There's no like, there's no definitive answer there because one of sort of the conceits of the of the game is that uh, the the things that are challenging for one character are not necessarily the things that are challenging for another character. Right. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, an uh, you know a couple of angry peasants probably not not that big of a deal to a, a an armored knight on horseback, right? Like yes. even if you can't cut him down, you can ride him down maybe right. with one roll or something. Uh, that same, like, mob of angry peasants uh, to to a squire or to, like, a stable boy, that's a huge deal. Right. Uh, yes. so, so, yeah, like, all, all of those things scale very well to, to, the, uh, to the abilities of the character that is being challenged at the time. Right. And it's funny, somebody on the uh, Burning Wheel uh, G Plus community was just talking about, like, character balance. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, I was like, Burning Wheel is really not about balance. Like, mm. like the game does not even attempt to make uh, one particular path balanced with another, one, pa- one um, race balanced with another. I mean, elves are just badass, just hands yeah. down. Um, and so it's totally possible for you to have two starting characters where, yeah, one is a peasant would be no challenge on another. Uh, they would have to find another way around. They would be like trying to calm the mob or running away or calling on a city guard. You know, they, they just for them, uh, you know, fighting that that angry mob would would be a very bad choice. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but that's the but that's the thing, right? Like, that's not really what 
burning wheel is about uh, is not sort of grinding through a whole bunch of peasants and gaining those tiny little bits of experience points. It's about the, the difficulties that occur along the way. At least that's right. my impression of it. It's about yeah. the peasants who want to burn down the house that your mom's still in. Right, right. exactly. Decide, like, well, do I run to save myself or do I fight them off to protect my mom? Or do I try to convince my mom she's crazy for staying in the house? You know, right, right. Like, like that she won't give up because it's, you know, where her family, where she was raised and lived all her life. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think we've uh, we've hit most of those uh, those questions. So let's um, move on from there to um, your wicket, I suppose, Sean Nittner, which is um, tell us about what's going on with uh, Evil Hat Fate Corps, at least uh, initially. Sure. Sure. Um, well, we, I just put up um, two uh, hangouts. Uh, we're just listed. I'll, I'll give you the URLs for them so you can throw them in the show notes if you want. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Where I interviewed, actually there's three up now total, where I interviewed um, the, the creators uh, of Fate Worlds and of Fate System Toolkit. And yep. um, so uh, they came on and talked about their setting or their section of the toolkit and what they did with it. And that was super exciting. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, those are supplements for Fate Core. Um, Fate Core, uh, this may be old news for some people, but, um, you know, Fate Core was an incredibly successful Kickstarter. Um, it, the first draft was already ready the moment the Kickstarter started. Yes. Um, and uh, it's gone through four revision passes, and it has gone into layout, and we've had uh, an insane amount of art. Uh, I think I counted it. I hand-counted it once. It was like, Something like 150 pieces of art created by Kurt Komoda, which is which is just gorgeous. Um, the art the art was finished, the layout was finished, the indexes were finished. Uh, we have sent it off to the printer, um, and we are expecting it to be shipping out to folks uh, very soon. So um, uh, you know, probably you know, any day we'll get a message that it's that it's that it's coming out. Uh, definitely by early July. So like right. really around so, the corner. So, yeah. Check your mailboxes. So um, one thing, I'm not sure if you can talk about this, but maybe I'll speak generally. This is something that's come up a couple of times. But um, the shipping um, in America, the way that the price has gone up crazy style in the last little bit, do you have any advice for people that are thinking about doing Kickstarters regarding shipping from someone inside an extremely successful um, Kickstarter where shipping is a component of the uh, of the the um, money that people pledge? Well, Fred is the guy who cuts all the checks and wants to deal with all the crazy um, price increases, and and uh, he knows it much more intimately. Um, Brian Engard, who is one of our, who is one of the great talents of the Hat, has his own Kickstarter um, that he just started, which is the Kickstarter, which is becoming, um, and I'll be happy to talk about that because it's something I'd like to promote a little. Um, sure. But uh, but the first thing Brian did before he. Um, before he launched the Kickstarter was he ran it by Fred. So um, my, sorry to pin you down like this, Fred, but my, my best advice would be to run your numbers by somebody who is, who's already run a successful Kickstarter and who understands the, the shipping costs. Kickstarter has a lot of rules about the cost of shipping. They can't exceed 25% of the total cost of a pledge level. So right. that means shipping cheap things is basically impossible. You can't really ship a $5 product because if it's $5 in shipping, then that's 50% of the pledge cost. Right. Um, so you're going to have to have your product cost enough that the shipping will not exceed 25%. Right. Also, 
shipping is a zero, like there's no profit in shipping. Mm. You don't make any money when you do it, whereas you make money on your product. But Kickstarter right. takes the same uh, portion, they takes the same portion out of the top. Like they don't, Kickstarter doesn't acknowledge that when someone pledged, say, 25 bucks, that five of that went to shipping, and so they shouldn't be dinging you for it. You see yes. that dinging. I mean, they charge their commission off the total of everything. Right. So yes. you've got to factor in that even when someone gives you five or 10 bucks for, for shipping, you don't actually get that. You know, you get that minus yeah. Kickstarter's fees. Well, I, I, that's a good point, yeah. So, you know, and with a product that's, you can kind of eat that because you can go, oh, well, you know, I'm already marking the product up so I can kind of like absorb some of that because it's a direct to, you know, it's a direct to market thing. I'm cutting out of the middlemen. So Kickstarter's fees are really minimal compared to what distribution and all that would right. cost. Yeah. But, um, or how much they would take rather, not they would yeah, charge. Yeah. But, um, but with shipping, you know, you're, you're paying the mailman and, and yes. not getting all of that money to pay them is, is rough. Yeah. So I, I think you almost have to build that a little bit into the profit margin of your product that you're, go, yes. you're, you're probably going to lose money on shipping, but know that, you know, hopefully you're profiting enough on your product Yes. that it can absorb it um mm. use media mail uh but 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 know that media mail can only ship books you cannot ship games with any components in them You're so right. if you have a game that is not a standard just straight up book media mail is, or or cd i guess but you know we're talking yep. about rpgs yep. media mail is not going to uh work and you're gonna have to use a more expensive method so um, I would, you know, just plan it out way in advance and expect yeah. it to go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's, I mean, we've talked about it lots of times um, in the past. You know, like uh, Kickstarter is not just the, it's not just a solution. Like, here, give me money. Oh, I've got money now. Here you go. Have something. There is so much more to it. And I was reading an article about a chap who made a board game. I don't know if you guys read this, who uh, just got destroyed. Try like it, it lost. I lost his house and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, some of it, I think, was was mismanagement on his behalf. But um, the takeaway message I got from that is that you know that just you're, it's a it's a binding contract, right? Like you're uh, you're saying here's here's what I'm giving you when you give me the money, um, and you have to satisfy that. So you can't then go, well, hang on a minute, this is yeah. not good. Well I think no. there's been a couple that have... There, there have been there have been some horror stories with Kickstarters that, you know, the, the, the impression of the backers is they took the money and run. I, I don't think that ever happens. I don't think anyone actually just takes the money and is like, ha-ha, I'm going to Tahiti. Although right, I didn't yeah. encourage Fred. I was like, dude, why are we <laughs> making this book? It's already <laughs> half done. Let's just yeah. send it on PDF. Forget our right, layout. Let's just shoot it out to them right now. Yeah. Um, and let's take it to Tahiti. That was right, after right. I got hired on. Before I got hired on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone has the intention of abusing the system, but um, but there's not a lot. It's hard for the backers to uh, to to put much leverage on the uh, on the the creator, other than social leverage. I mean, they can comment right. away. Yes, um, yes. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure there could be lawsuits and whatnot, but unless it was a class action suit, you know, what are they going to sue for? The, how much they paid for the product? Their, right. The 30 bucks they pledged, right? Yeah. It's, so well, imagine that it's not really an investment. Like 
there's this weird thing where people are like, you know, Kickstarter isn't really a pre-order and it seems like, uh, yeah, it really kind of is. It's, it's, uh, Daniel, what's the, what's the swearing? Can we swear on the show? Of course. Yeah. Fuck that shit. You're paying (laughs) a pledge level. Like, right. You're in your pledge. It says you're going to get this thing. Like, even if it's a long time before you get it, you should get the goddamn thing. Yeah. 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 That was some of the comments that the guys said, um, on there, which was people like, you know, it's tough, but where's my game? Yeah. And, that's the th- and it's and it came down to shipping again, right? And I read it like a year ago. I was reading an article about it, and this woman talking about a nightmare with shipping. And it seems that that almost without exception, people that have had trouble it's always been associated with uh, with shipping. So yeah. you know, do your numbers carefully with uh, yeah. with that. And I'm never going to yeah, mention was... shipping ever again hey. um, on the show. I mean, this here's the thing: is like you can like a lot of places for a book will charge five dollars in shipping because that is almost what you're going to pay in 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 shipping you're probably going to pay more than that and it's not even still covering your your packaging yeah um so um consider that if you're going to charge five dollars it cannot be more than 25 percent of the thing so you Mm. you basically cannot sell a product on kickstarter that is not that does not cost more than 15 dollars right you know, like if you're trying to sell a physical product that you're going to ship to somebody and it's less than $15, don't use Kickstarter. I mean, don't, right. I don't know. Don't like it's, it's, it's a bad, it's a bad model. So hopefully yeah. you have a product that's 20 bucks and up. And mm. so there's a little bit of leverage and you can, you know, charge it because and you can charge a few more dollars shipping to cover your costs. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. I could not kickstart something here in Canada as it is already. It cost me, it costs me, uh, like sixteen to seventeen dollars to send a book, even in Canada. Yeah, I was, I was going to say six weeks. That's just. Uh, do you uh, have just, a, a slow boat from China media mail option in Canada? No, the cheapest that I can send a book to, um, and I've sent, I've sent a couple of games to Sweden and to England and Germany and France and so forth. And each one of those, even if it's going to take four to six weeks. Uh, is still sixteen, seventeen dollars. The cheapest I can send is like that. If I want to send it so that it gets there in a week or so, you're talking about fifty bucks, forty-five, fifty yeah. bucks. Yeah. Wow. Just, wow. There's oh, clearly oh. there is no advantage to you for being a member of the British Commonwealth. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, and and we we're seeing that with Fake Core on on international shipping. I mean, with 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 domestic shipping, we're kind of. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a wash or it's a loss, but it's a really minimal loss. Yeah, it's negligible. It's it hurts to ship all the the international orders out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the people who clump their products, we appreciate. Um, uh, you know, we can we can cover it, but it, it's definitely. I mean, if we were just shipping internationally, this would not be a successful Kickstarter, even with all the money we raised. Yeah, yeah. That way. Be successful for the post office, and that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're loving life. Okay. Do you want to talk about becoming a bit now then, Sean? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd like to talk a little bit about it. Um, so uh, Brian Engard is um, uh, working on, uh, just as of recently, he's working on the Atomic Robo RPG. He's working on uh, uh, Shadow of the Century, which is a game that we'll be coming out with uh, early 2014. Um, he did work on Fate Core, Fate System Toolkit, 
Um, he worked on Bulldogs for Brennan Taylor. That was sort of his earliest Fate stuff. So Brian has been doing a lot of stuff in Fate um, and around it, but he's also been working on his own game for, I think, the last year and a half called Becoming. And uh, it has a special place for me because it's all about the cost of becoming a hero. Um, you're, um, you know, you, you try to, um, you try to become a hero, but you have the question is what, what are you going to sacrifice? And the sacrifice mm. is uh, built into the game and it is, it is something you're, you're going to, you're going to, uh, encounter you're, something you're going to have to go through. Um, it also is a story with one protagonist, um, and, uh, the other three players are the fates, um, which reminds me a lot of Polaris which has, you know, what you kind of shift who is the protagonist and who are the three gems and of Dirty Secrets, where there's one investigator and a bunch of, um, uh, I don't know what the, the gems are in Dirty Secrets. I can't remember, yeah, I can't what, remember what they're called, but yeah, but, it's basically one player. Yeah, and so, um, you know, it's, I, I, have all, I have bitched many times about players, about not players not contributing and players not, like, being more active in games. Right. And I and I said to a good friend of mine, I was like, you know, we just need a playerless game. Forget GMless games. I want playerless <laughs> games. Right? Like I just want all GMs, all GMs co- collaborating and contributing. And and um, this is clearly not that, but it, but the fact that all of the players besides the one are contributing to the the story and it, and it uh, really excites me. So that's Brian Engard's Becoming. Uh, it is the Kickstarter is open right now. Um, it is not quite hit its goal yet, but it's getting close, and I highly recommend you check it out. There you go. That's my pitch right for on. it. All right, good. Brian, I hope you like that. I did that all <laughs> off the cuff just for you. Sir. <laughs> Yeah, well, while we're uh, while we're uh, talking about new things or things sort of in the works, um, you guys have another podcast you do called Oh, Fire in the Garden. Fire in the Garden. Yeah, Fire that's... in the Garden, which is about torchbearer, right? No, it's about running wheel. Yep. Uh, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> and five might be about torchbearer or four. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, it's torch torchbearer is probably the the last thing we'll cover because it's the one that has been played the least right okay. you know the least about it right okay so um your uh your th- podcast is called uh, fire in the garden um is about is it a live play is that what it is or no it is it, it's a show that is geared toward uh new players um i not not to not to sound egotistical uh but the the inspiration <laughs> no no i was gonna say the inspiration that i had for the show uh was uh how awesome you were well there is that i mean that was pretty pretty obvious <laughs> nobody else could the have world needs more me. me right uh <clears throat> excuse Come me on, isn't every no. podcaster think that i mean <laughs> pretty much here that's right because we're all sitting here going no no the world needs to hear what I have to say about this subject. <laughs> uh, no, there's uh, one of one of the best supplements for for Burning Wheel uh, is a book called The Adventure Burner, uh, which is out of print now, uh, and it it was only in print for like a year uh, because it came out uh, and it came out as a source book for the revised edition, uh, and it was kind of the collected commentary on on all the rules and how. Uh, how things had been like interpreted and explained on the forums and uh you know through through play and through you know exploring uh 
the 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 nuances of the games and and sort of the the insights that people had had, had come up with uh to uh to really help people get the most out of out of the game right uh and then burning wheel ca- gold came out and they incorporated like the the bulk of the important stuff in that book uh right. into into the rules text uh, but it's still a really heavy game, really hard for people to to get their heads around. Uh, and and as you know, as people went through the new edition, uh, the same sort of thing kind of kind of happens. People come in and ask questions, and and uh, you know, learn new stuff about about the system. And and you know, some of the rules have been tweaked. And and uh, you know, as as the game you know progressed, it you know, you, you find new things that are kind of emergent properties for how the game works. Uh, and so I was like, there's no way that they're going to put out a whole nother book, uh, about what, you know, these, these sort of best practices, uh, for, for playing, uh, are. So it would make sense to me to, to, to sort of have a kind kind of a living adventure burner. And that was, that was the idea, like teach new people how to play, uh, so that they don't have to go and bash their heads into it, uh, which is pretty much how how I did it. Like that's how I learned how to play the game. I'm sure that's how Sean learned to play the game. Oh, totally. Like, you just you just keep doing it and like figure out why that one thing you did didn't work I over and no over. Idea when I finally learned how to do fight, like I don't know when it clicked. I just know that now I'm like fight. Yes, <laughs> I told him to fight. Whereas before I was terrified of it because I was like every time I do it I'm confused and lost and and I feel like all the players are like why is this taking so long it doesn't make any sense I just want to stab him yeah and, yeah and and I I hated that I hated feeling like I was dragging players through a, an experience that they didn't want and I was mm. like forcing it on them and um, yeah it was it was. You know, and it finally, like, eventually it becomes comfortable enough to be like, okay, I know how to step people through this in a fast way. And, 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 and I, and I can, I can guide them through the process, um, rather than just floundering myself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of stuff in the game that's like that, you know, writing beliefs is huge. It's, it's like the, the main gear that drives everything in the game. And it's one of the hardest things to, to really, master and figure out how to get your your head around like i still write crappy beliefs uh every once in a while <clears throat> there was that one time there was that one time that i wrote a yeah, crappy belief like no. <laughs> <laughs> no i've 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 still had beliefs where i've like gone through a session and been like ah, that that didn't come out the way that i really mm. intended uh but but yeah like like the there are many things that are the the oh, systems okay. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. I just I hear something that's disturbing. It's disconcerting. Oh, okay. Uh, the 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 system is elegant, uh, but it's not easy. Uh, and and I think it, it. I wanted to be helpful for people uh, who are learning how to play the game to not be frustrated. Right. Uh, but I mean, not, that's that's not. Uh... I mean, you you led off with um, with egotistical blah blah blah, um, but that's not strictly speaking accurate because don't uh, don't you have a special uh, don't you have a special designation amongst uh, burning wheel people? Who me? Yes. Not not really. Uh, burning no, fanboy. Burning junkie. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, but you yeah. uh, you run you're one of the uh, demonstrators though, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Sean and I actually uh, at PAX last year, twenty twenty twelve, uh, ran demos of of, of right. Burning Wheel. Yeah, uh, we ran the sword over and over. So, yeah, yes. so, they, we we weren't like appointed to do that. We just kind of volunteered. Like, mm-hmm. sure. You uh, walked to Luke and said, "Hey, we'll run your game," and he he was the the sweetest gentleman. I mean, he was Luke is the most gracious um, host of demoers. I don't know. Yes. Oh yeah, like it's yeah. it's crazy. He's so like he's 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 just so nice about it, which yeah, is funny because yeah. like one of the biggest complaints about the game is people will get it and be like, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff in this game, but I just couldn't take the tone of the author. Like all I could hear is Luke Crane in my head going, play the game like this. Yeah. Uh, and then like you run the demos for him and he's just like, Oh guys, thank you so much here. You know, let's go out to dinner and hang out. <sighs> Luke was watching while Sean and I played Torchbearer um, the other night. And he was tweeting to us the entire time, giving us little guidelines. And he was like, so, because I was so worried. I was running the game and I was like, well, do I know what the hell? I, I have 17 pages of preview rules and, and I'm hacking bits together of mouse guard. And I don't know if I'm doing any of this right. Like, right. and um, he was this total sweetheart. He was like, he's like, yeah, that's great. You're doing a great job and try this. And oh, here's a good, you know, here's a good idea. And yeah. uh, Sweetest guy. Yeah, because we were playing Sean Hayworth's The Gift, um, and I, um, I I doubt that we were were unique in doing something strange happening. But um, there was a I don't want to give it away what happens in the game. But suffice to say, um, I, I don't I know think, the story. I don't I, think I, anybody really anticipated happening what was actually going to happen. You handled it very well, Sean. But um, but Luke Crane poked his head around the door more than once to look at uh, look at how things were uh, how things were panning out i was i was gently uh um ribbing you about the fact that you were going to be in trouble with uh with luke crane afterwards um and did did you get any feedback on on that whole uh that whole thing uh the the feedback that i got was uh number one uh I, I, there's no spoilers because uh because the gift kind of like it has a really song, strong starting situation, and yes. then no, like okay. Well, I didn't want to go. Okay, well, then maybe point. set it up then, so it's not too inside uh, baseball. Yeah. So, so it, it's it, like like the setup of the gift is pretty pretty straightforward. Like four elves come to four dwarves to to uh, sort of sort of rekindle uh, old friendships and 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 you know bury some hatchets, uh, and one of the elves. Uh, forgets to bring uh the the customary gift to to the dwarf prince who has just been crowned uh so so the the situation is kind of kind of all all tied up in this in this social faux pas uh that the elves have made and 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 you kind of have to settle uh settle this 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 issue of of like a huge breach of etiquette uh so and how is it usually resolved? Like, what's what do people generally do in this situation? Try and sort of smooth things over between the two groups. I've run the gift <laughs> five or six times, and I've never seen the same result. I, I do not think there is a usual result. No, I, I think I think there's recurring themes that happen often. Mm. Uh, most of them involve a bloodbath. Yes, uh, there are there are there are two characters in the game that are set up uh, from the 
very beginning to have tragic endings. Uh, one of the dwarves uh, is is like one test away from from being overcome by his own greed and going going insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there's an object in the game that is worth like kingdoms worth of wealth in in one particular object. Uh, so it's like the hope diamond. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much like like oh hey, that could buy everything. Uh, yes. and right. and so that is guaranteed to set that character off. Well, and that then, character basically cannot survive the game because of that. Because of the right. of that thing. And right. it's, it's and then, one of those things where there's no way to make change for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't be like, hey Daniel, I know I owe you twenty bucks, but can you just give me change for the hope diamond? That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. impossible, yeah. right? You yeah. know? That's right, yeah. 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 Uh, and then, and then one of the elves has uh, is is one test away from uh, from just seeing too much death and destruction, and and uh, slinking off to the west to 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 wash his hands of of right. the horrors of of yes. eternal life. Right. Uh, so so the the recurring themes that I've I I can imagine and that I have seen come up in this game are. Uh, bloodbaths. Uh, I, I know we'd played once. I played in Sean's game where uh, my my character lost a hand and then was was imprisoned by the dwarves forever uh, because <laughs> well, elves can't as long as die, <laughs> which is a long time for an elf. You're, right? You're immortal, right? You'll 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 live in that cell until they rot in their graves, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so, it, but in this particular case, uh, we had. <laughs> We had a uh, uh, an, like like the the dwarves and the elves arranged a marriage <laughs> between their two peoples. Like, yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a first, like like even Luke was like, there's there's an elf like a dwarfy elfy marriage. What what happened? Yeah, uh, just... but but if I got in trouble for anything, it's because I was way too lenient with with one of the the players for. Uh, for letting him just like roll a whole bunch of dice uh, when I should have just been harsher about it. Like in my home games, I'm, I'm, you know, I get comfortable with people so I can be way more of a dick yeah. about stuff. You just be like, no, no, don't try, don't try and pull that skill in there. What are you yeah. doing? Uh, but yeah, but yeah, it was a new player and like, it's a con game and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Just roll like all yeah. your dice. Burning Wheel is the loosest of all the games about what you can use. Like they got better with gold, but you know, in, in each successive game, it became much more clear. Like, yeah, this is what will work in this scenario. Uh, yeah. No, you can't use your 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 writing skill in a sword fight because the pen is mightier than the sword. No, no, yeah. writing skill is for writing. You're in a fight. Bone up and grab your crappy sword skill and deal with that. You know, <laughs> um, and. Uh, and and uh but but uh still it can be people can really especially in that game when the characters have a lot of skills it sometimes is hard to get people to stop trying to find more that they could use to do something yep it happens yeah yeah well the, the reason i brought that up was i just wanted to illustrate um that just because the rules are written a particular way does not mean that uh, any designer luke crane as well is going to be annoyed with uh, with the way that uh, that things turn out so um, I haven't met lots of game designs. I've met quite a few, and I've interviewed quite a few as well, but it seems that a common thread is that even if you perhaps get that feeling when you're reading something that somebody's sort of telling you to do things a certain way, I don't know of any game designers that are 
anything other than thrilled to hear of people playing their games, how, no, no matter how they're playing. Now, that's probably not exclusively true, but I would say that everybody I've met would just be thrilled to hear that somebody was taking the time to play the game. I certainly would be, no matter how somebody was doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I mean, I think you're excited when people get excited about the things that you made and that you yeah, yeah. That, that drive you that, that are that you're passionate about. Um, I mean, I think that the common thread with Burning Wheel and the reason why that, I don't know, misconception might be out there is that there was a lot of people and there's still a lot of people that try to tell Luke that he got it wrong. Like, no, no, if you just change the way these things work, then it would be make more sense. Like an, an example is like, like scripting doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't, if someone was swinging the sword at you, you'd just block it. You wouldn't not defend yourself. That doesn't make any sense at all. Right, and, uh, right, right. And, 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 and there's two arguments to that. One is that there's a certain kind of logic to in the heat of battle, things are crazy and chaotic, and you're not, you don't have perfect, perfect spatial awareness, and you're not mm. always ready for what happens. That's what I find anyway. Right. And two, the whole mechanic of the whole fight system or the whole dual wit system completely falls down if you don't like it is built upon the scripting like that. Those mechanics don't work without that that scripting. There are certain moves that if you knew what the other person was doing, you would never do and vice versa. Uh, or right. always yeah, exactly. And, I mean, exactly. So it, it, uh, you can disagree with it. You can dislike it. But if you try to like change it or tell tell them that it should be changed. Um, you're going to get a stiff wall of resistance, both from Burning Wheel HQ, you know, Luke and Tor and all those, and all the fans who are like, no, no, it works. Shut up. Just do it. Stop yeah, arguing yeah. with just, it. Stop just, trying to fix yeah. it. Do, yeah. it. do what the game says to do. Yeah, I, I was yeah. talking a little bit about it on... Uh, there was the a... <laughs> That's right. A, um, a uh, Pete Figtree on Ruthless Diastema. Uh, I was talking about uh, publishing um, games with him and with Meg Baker and uh, Ben Gerber and a couple of other game guys whose names I don't don't recall, but uh, did check that out. Um, and one of the things about writing games and uh, as it applies, this is I was reading a bit on on I think somebody might have passed around G plus or maybe I read it subsequently. Um, was uh and i've totally lost his uh, neil gaiman was talking about people commenting on your game or commenting on something you've created yeah. obviously he's the writer but uh, his sure. thing was um if somebody says there's something wrong then they're probably right but if they tell you how to fix it they're almost always wrong <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that's so yeah. So that's sort of as, as it goes along with with that right i mean we're yeah. talking about people that have done it you know, they wrote the game, they've play tested the game, they know it like the back of their hands, and it, it works the way they intended for it to work. If it doesn't work for you, that says more about you yeah. than it does about, about the game. Maybe it's not the game for you, but that's not wrong. Well, right? And I think that's the reason why gold exists is because they realized that, yes, there were some things that were not right with the system, but most of those things were about how it was to explained to yes. the reader. Like yes. a lot of that was clear, clarifying things. And there were some things that were a little unbalanced. I mean, there were some tweaks, but like I never felt like revised when we were playing it. Like there was certainly never like the move that just trumped all or, or yeah. you know, there was nothing that was so horribly broken. There were some moves that you're like, whoa, that's ballsy. You're going to incite? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, good luck. Yeah. Um, or the or the steel advance in, in range and cover. Like that is insane. 
It, right, exactly. You just you just want to be shot, right? Yeah, but, but, stand but, up and yell into the hail of arrows. But uh, but uh, you know, so so there were some minor tweaks of the rules, but most of the most of the significant changes was in the presentation and the explanation and clarity. So yeah, I think you're right. People probably did have legitimate things to say this was wrong, but what needed to be fixed was how it was explained, not mm. the system right. itself. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I talked to uh, Sean Hayworth about this, Sean Nittner, and, and you guys maybe even have some more insight on it now. I was curious to know how the um, how your Torchbearer game played out um, compared with what is actually supposed to, to happen. We've touched on that a little bit, but that sort of goes a little bit towards the the what it's like to play a role-playing game when you've never seen somebody else do it and how you end up playing it as compared with you know what the writer of the game actually intended. Have you, have you banged up against that with Torchbearer at all yet? Well, there's. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no. You, you, you. Uh, I was going to say because I think you and I have 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 slightly different, uh, not not necessarily opinions, but perspectives. Like yeah. since I'm a player and you're the GM in this game, yeah. Uh, it's uh, number one. It has been insanely fun for me to like figure out how this game works from like piecing together this this one document, which is basically like. Hey, here's some flavor stuff, and then how to make a character and a character sheet, uh, mm. and then mouse guard, and then a whole bunch of like bits and pieces of interviews and and blurbs about it from all over the internet. It's it's like some weird, like archaeological, mm. uh, uh, archaeological dig where you're like figuring out how how the the Antikythera device uh, is supposed to work. Like it's it's right. it's crazy. Uh, Full stop. Up to this point, I agree with Sean completely. Like, this is my exact <laughs> experience. Like, I love that I'm like, well, I know this rule from, like, minute 44 of this podcast uh, where Tor talked about the clever idea. And I know this thing because Jared said it on the Google Plus Hangout community. And I know this thing because something random wow. uh, that Luke tweeted. And, and like, it's been so much fun to try it. Like, I even asked Tor, I'm like, can you give me another little snippet? I don't want the whole thing. I want another little snippet, just a tiny <laughs> piece to try and, like, work out some more. Anyway, continue. I just yeah. wanted to say that, like, I totally am on the same page. So you're like torchbearer right. stalkers. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, it's, 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 it's like this, this uh, unintended mini game that has arisen. Right. Right. Uh, from from them being like, hey, here's the uh, character creation rules. Yeah. See if you can figure out how to play. And it's a game uh, we can only play now. Yes. So once we mm. have the rules, the mystery right. will be gone. Right, right. right. That's In true. Fact, I felt the exact same way about D&D 4th Edition. Um, when, when the quick start rules came out, um, I remember playing a, a, a thief or a rogue or whatever to call them forth. And, um, and I just had a, a damage rating. And I was like, I was like so stoked that that I just had a damage rating, and I was like, that must be that like I do like a D six plus two, no matter what I do. So I was like, dude, I just run up and kick him, I knee him, and I in the gut and I elbow him. I do a D six plus two. I grab a lamp and I bang him with it. I do a D six plus two. I use my sword and I stab him. I do a D six plus two. And I was so like stoked with this idea that like it didn't matter what I used, I could flavor what I did any way I wanted. Mm. And then I found out later on, no, that's actually because that was the stats of your short sword. And right, your right. decks, and right. like you don't get to do all that, and right. and like the warlord had this ability to allow someone to do a basic action, and the wizard could treat a magic missile as a basic action. So I was like, yeah, warlords can make wizards magic missile, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, no, they can do a basic melee attack, and that's not a basic melee attack. It's a, right. Attack. And I was right. like, 
I really loved like <laughs> using tiny pieces, just making it up. And I, I felt actually happier with what I had. I was like sad when I learned the full rules. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> Do you find uh, it this difficult like to D&D. continue with that? Sorry? Do you find it difficult to continue with it? Like, could you continue playing your version of, of fourth edition? No, or do no. You... Once I know the real worlds, I got to play by them. It's right. it's over for me. So, like, anything we're doing in Torchbearer right now that is not right, once I find out the real worlds, I won't do it anymore. And and I, you know, it might be something I enjoyed, but I'm sure I'll love it, whatever it is. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not worried in this case. With D&D, it was a disappointment. But, you know, right. um, yeah. I will not be disappointed, I'm sure. Yeah, with uh, with with Torchbearer, I think like it's it's kind of funny because as we've gone along, like and and more information has come out, uh, and we figured out like how certain things work. Uh, it's I think I feel like it's gotten closer and closer and closer to the actual game. Yeah, like I, I think I think there there are definitely like specific things we don't know. We don't know exactly how camp works yet. Oh. Well, we, here's the thing. I know there's a camp encounters table that you're supposed to roll at the beginning. I don't know what that table is. Like, it has not been released. Clinton, right. Clinton released his version of it, which I know is not the actual version. It's just something he made up. Yep. And I know that they can't. I also know that it's supposed to be more complex than what he did because there's supposed to be like a safe camp uh, encounter table and a not safe encamp- camp encounter table. And he only has one table. So I'm like, well, uh, you know what? So yeah, there's definitely parts where we're like, we know there's missing pieces and we don't have them yet. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's attack you guys every time you make camp, <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to run away every time. That's right. Uh, the 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 uh sort of the the emergent thing that has come out, like come out as we've been playing this game, is it started out and uh, we uh. I wouldn't say it was a cakewalk. Like, like there was a lot of a lot of stuff, but like it wasn't like it didn't feel particularly challenging at the at the very beginning. Like, like we we're uh, so we're playing the the classic uh, tel- Temple of Elemental Evil uh, adventure, right? Uh, and just the we've only done the first part, so we like start at the moat house and 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 you go in and and you know we we dealt with I, I don't even remember like what we did in the first one there was uh, you, you mapped the area and you looked for trait you you looked and you saw that there had been some people that had been come through here and you went into the tower or the yeah one of the crumbled towers and you fought the spider and got right. the ivory box that's in there yeah, yeah. so so there was a, like like stuff happened and it was fun uh right. but it, it didn't feel like particularly dangerous right. uh and then as we've added in, like, oh, this is how the real wor- rules work, uh, things have gotten progressively more and more grim. Like, like oh, yeah. as we're as we're wandering around, we're like, wait, these torches only last for two rounds, uh, and now we're like rewriting all of our instincts because if you make a roll when it's an instinct, it doesn't take a round to do. So we're like, how much crap can we do before we actually have to start using up resources? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- it's it's kind of funny because it feels like the deeper they go into the dungeon is also the more we learn about the game. So the deeper they go, the more deadly it gets, in part because they're getting into fighting more dangerous things and they're further away from escape routes, but also in part because we're learning more of the rules. Right, so yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like a, a cumulative effect of it's getting like exponentially more dangerous. 
So any more news about uh, about release dates or where the people can, where people can find more information about Torchbearer? Uh, I know that the PDF has been sent to the printer. Nice. So, uh, Good. I, I, I just saw a tweet from Luke that, that said that. Like, while right. we were playing, he was editing the index of the game. Yeah. So. Right. Oh, yeah, it sounds like it must be, uh, must be pretty, pretty close there. Um, and uh, while I'm thinking about it, I didn't get a chance to discuss it um, earlier on the week, but one of the things that you may, Sean, may be able to talk about, you've probably got editors in-house, but one of the things that, or indexes in-house or editors in-house, um, I was considering for Victoria hiring somebody to do um, indexing and or um, and or editing, and I came across, up against sort of this interesting idea, which is what is a role playing book? Because the, the lady said to me, um, "Well, you know, what sort of book is it? Is it a technical manual or is it a uh, is it a work of fiction?" And I was suddenly realised that role playing books are, at least in my experience, pretty unique objects because they have this technical stuff and there's quite a bit of creative stuff and there's real you know what I mean? Like there's real stuff and and fake stuff, and I don't know, you know, like I don't know how I would describe it apart from it's a role playing book. And if they don't know what that means from an yeah. editor's perspective, like how do they proceed? Uh, how do they proceed? What it means from an editor's perspective, this is uh, speaking as Evil Hat Project Manager, is you need a developmental, uh, aka system editor, and you need a uh, a line editor. Like right. role playing games can't be edited by one person unless that one person happens to be both of those things. Yes. Um, because if they don't know your game mechanics and they don't know your system, they can't yes. evaluate whether you've got it right or not. Yes. And if, and and the people who know your game mechanics and your system um, uh, don't necessarily know proper grammar and clarity of speech and all that. So right. you either need two editors who one for system and one for line editing, yeah. or you need one person who's very good at both those things right and and part of the problem with role-playing games is that if you're doing something from scratch like victoria yes then no one is a qualified system editor yes like like you're the <laughs> only one who knows the system and <laughs> no one else does so you almost need to like yeah. breed a system editor you almost need to like right. get somebody yeah. that loves you and yes. you can make play the game with you a million times yeah. until they know the game Maybe as well, or half as oh, yeah, well. Yeah, better, you do. better than like you get somebody who's pedantic. That was that was somebody that I um, that I hooked up with. There's a, a friend of mine, uh, Richard, who I've spoken with lots of times and have failed consistently to get on the show. But he is, uh, and I and I've mentioned him in the in the credits. But um, but that's his thing, right? He's the type of guy who will be will find a loophole and a way to min max it or to um, to ma get the most out of the least um, and yeah. find where they can break a system, but it's teamed up with the fact that he would never actually use it. And, and so if, if you go, my, I guess where I'm going with this is if you want to get somebody to uh, be the technical editor for your uh, role-playing game, then get somebody who is pedantic, um, but nice. So um, I think the word type for uh this whole picking dick, um, but somebody who's actually who's actually nice with it. So if you can find one of those, um, then you're an extremely lucky person because those are few and far between. Yeah, right. I think I think you you should drop the nice qualifier because everybody <laughs> hates their editor. Like you hate your editor no matter what. So why get a nice editor? Because you're just gonna hate them anyway, and That's... you might as well not hate nice people because <laughs> they're gonna make your life miserable. Um, yeah, if you're doing just, the job properly anyway. I was just on a a, a hangout with. 
uh, Brian Engard and, and Mike Olson and, and Jeremy Keller were, were, were talking about the uh, progression of uh, editing Atomic Robo. And, and Jeremy is like the kindest, coolest, most awesome editor. You know, he's super supportive and friendly and he makes sure he makes sure to point out like where you did a good job. He doesn't just always give you just critiques. And I still think Mike wanted to strangle him from across the, you know, <laughs> like, like it was, yeah. you know, Mike was trying to be understanding, but at the same time, he's like, dude, why don't you just love my thing? Why are you making me redo this? Yeah, yeah. Why do I have to do so much more work? I thought I was done. You yeah. know, un- totally understandably as a creator, you're like, I made this thing, it's done. And then an editor says, no, you need yeah. to do it five more times. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That is, that is, that's the hardest thing is to go through it that third and fourth time. You're like, I've had enough. I don't want to do it anymore. It's that's the way it is, and and you know, like, and making yourself do that is, is um, is hard. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That's the hardest. At least I think that's the hardest part is going through revision number, th- you know, revision number three, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that it is not easy to like look at that thing that you created because you loved what you were creating and then hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you hate it because it can't ever get to be exactly what you wanted. I also think you write something and you have this idea of what you wrote. And then if you read it like three months later, after not looking at it, you realize, whoa, I did not write what I thought I wrote. Like, like you have these ideas in your head and you think you're conveying them. Mm. And it really takes a little distance distancing yourself a little bit from it and and having somebody else read it to be like, dude, you, you didn't actually, like they'll say, "What do you mean here?" And you explain it in person. And they're like, well, that's not what you wrote. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of funny that this has come up because uh, I saw a, a a Google Plus post by Cam Banks earlier today, uh, and he was talking about uh, the the Marvel heroic game and mm-hmm. how a lot of people, uh, myself included, will look through that game and be like, "I don't know what to do with this." Like. Some people like look at it and and you know read through and go oh I I, I understand but there's a apparently surprising number of people uh, that like if you have somebody that knows it and can teach it to you it makes perfect sense yes but reading the actual text like yeah nope couldn't tell you couldn't tell you a damn thing about how how that game works. Uh, um, yeah, I have to say I own it, and I've heard a million people say it's fantastic, it's great. I've even watched people play it. It looked like they're having a blast of fun, and I and I played a lot of Cortex Plus games, and I feel comfortable with Cortex Plus. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know. But like the idea that you don't make characters that they're already there was just an instant turnoff for me, mm. and it's been hard for me. Even though I've heard great things about it, it's been hard for me to want to jump into it because i'm like well okay wolverine's cool but what if i want to make my dude you know Mm, and yeah like that just kind of that's like there's there's totally a time and place for like you you know i'm gene gray and you're wolverine cool let's play um right for me that's not in role-playing games like i don't know like i don't like and in characters in role-playing games to, to to be fair there are character creation rules uh it's just not what you expect like you expect, like you spend points to do this, and you right, take these right. things. Right, the creation rules are set the thing at what the level you think it should be. Right. Yep. It's, it, it's like if he's really good at it, make him really good at it. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, you want to make a superhero? Make a superhero. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. Right. Uh, Which is cool. I mean, it means that when they made the characters that they use, they didn't have to be bound by any kind of weird, like point by system. They just made people as good as they wanted them to be as 
or as poor as they wanted to be. I mean, right. I, I've heard nothing but good things about the game, so I should just get off my ass and play it sometime. Um, but yeah, well, I guess I guess my like like the point I was I was trying to make is that like this is a game that that won an award because uh, I think it just won best game in Origins. Think uh, it both best game and best supplement too for Civil War. I think oh, they nice! Got two, they got two mm. awards. Yeah, like like I'm not I, I I don't mean to sound like I'm impugning. Uh, their their game design at all and clearly there are people that can pick up that book and read it and understand it i am not one of those people and i found that i am not alone and i'm pretty good at figuring out how games work right uh so so like it's it's one of those things where like i i think sometimes like the idea of editing your game is is it goes even beyond the the you know did you uh you know do you have a good line editor and do you have a good system editor uh because you can still have both of those things and somehow still not be able to uh to to communicate yeah effectively to to your entire audience yeah right yeah well but i mean part of that is also picking your audience right like not true yeah not every role-playing gamer is the audience for every role-playing game this Um, is true so you know yeah, you're never going to please all the people all the time. Basically, is it? Well, I mean, like, if if you know what your game is about, like, mm. like, like, I mean, we've been talking a ton about Burning Wheel and whatnot. I mean, like, all the Burning Wheel HQ games are very technical games, and mm. like, if you don't like technical games, don't play them. Like, it's just like it's just don't do it. You know, you're not gonna. I really love a lot of very low tech games. I I, mm. I dig them, but I also um, I love when system really matters and like. Yes. You know, there's really crunchy games that have a lot of rules that I don't feel like amount to anything where you, like, roll the dice a million times and nothing happens. And yeah. those games can have tons of complex equations and still not be satisfying. But yes. uh, I do love games where, you know, mechanical decisions really ha- have significance and matter. Um, mm. But if that isn't your bailiwick, then I'd say don't do it. Don't. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. Well, I think we've uh, we've done that one there. So the next uh, thing on our on our list we're so organised this week. Um, you've written becoming Kickstarter, but I had no idea what that means. Have we already talked about that? We already put yes. that. That was Brian's um, Kickstarter. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> okay, it's I make sense. I'm like becoming Kickstarter. Who wants to become Kickstarter? What does that mean? Is that <laughs> some sort of a, like nobody a right now? Because yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> it's uh, like Transformers. <laughs> the whole big old scandal with above the game. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. There was uh, just to touch on that briefly, uh, and I don't want to really get into it. It was just something funny that somebody pointed out. Uh, So uh, apparently, never read the comments on a blog post. Like that kind of goes without saying. Uh, But one of the comments on their apology for that for that game was, "You can't apologize now. Once you've done something, you can't just apologize for it." Which I think is exactly when you're supposed to apologize for something. Yeah. Uh, I think their point was that they could have done more. They 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 knew it two hours before it closed. They could have killed it. And they're saying, you know, you should have you shouldn't apologize when you had the opportunity to do something about it. You should have done something about it. But I mean, at this point, it's the other. The only thing I think is is wonder questionable is that I know Kickstarter backers don't get paid. Uh, immediately i know there's like a three-week wait period 
So it is not, they wrote that like, oh, the money's out of our hands. Oh, we can't control it. Uh, I do not believe that to be true. I don't know if, you know, they have the actual authority to stop Amazon from making the payment, but I know the payment is not immediate. So it may be in Amazon's hands because they're due the fulfillment. The, the that's money. that's like, I don't, probably. Like there, it may not be something where they can just decide, but um, but if the Kickstarter just ended, the creator has not received funds. So for whatever that's worth. Hmm. Right. Okay, Dex. Well, uh, the next thing on our list here is um, Valiant Girls. Yeah. I just wanted to say this is a shout-out to uh, your podcast, Daniel. Oh, that I was listening well, thank you. <laughs> uh, when you were uh, interviewing uh, Meg Baker and Epidiah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I totally got super excited about um, those micro games. I, yes. I mostly got excited about the idea that I could be sitting on the bus and turn to somebody and be like, hey, want to play a game? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I could hand them a business card, right? Doesn't end up with my head in a duffel bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went out and I immediately bought Valiant Girls and all four of Epidiah's games. Right. Epidiah's required that I draw four sci-fi related pictures. Yes. So, yeah, I, um, I did that. They're, they're, they're a thing. They're and on Tumblr? Are they, are, they on the, are they on the blog already? I, I tweeted it. I tweeted a picture of them before I mailed them off. Oh, there you go. Um, and uh, I haven't received the games yet, though. <laughs> I've seen some pretty diabolical just, art on there. People have actually received their games. So he just he yeah, just I mean, he just took your pictures and ran, didn't he? He took my pictures and my four Damn. bucks. Um, no, I mean, Damn I'm, it, I'm, I'm sure. He said, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that's right. And then and then I, I downloaded Valiant Girls, which you can get the PDF off of you know night sky games and uh, i haven't played it yet um uh, honestly i was actually kind of sad when i got it that it was bigger that i was like micro games i wanted this to fit in my wallet i wanted to be able to carry this around it's a full sheet of paper it's a whole page oh my gosh i'm gonna Uh, gonna drop my mic right now well i would but it's on a stand So. Yeah, I mean, and I could just remember the rules, but I kind of like the idea of being able to show somebody the rules. Like, no, no, I'm not just yes. making this crap up. Like, yeah. here are the actual rules to this game. So I think right. I'm going to print it out and fold it up and put it in my wallet, fold it up, and then I can just unfold it and be like, here's the game. I was going to um, say, you should you should uh, have it printed on, like, uh, uh, a sheet that is is uh, several business card-sized sheets, kind of a Corian folded. Yeah. So you know, collapse it down to like the the size of a business card, but maybe like three or four sheets thick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that, I think that was the inspiration for for Vast and Starlet was the the fact that you could actually do that with uh, with with business cards. But uh, yeah. talking about the the nano games or micro games or little tiny gamelets, um, did it inspire you to want to write one, Sean? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very little inspires me to want to write a game. Um, <laughs> what because because yeah. they're all written or it's just uh this beneath you to solo your know. hands with the... <laughs> no not because they're beneath me at all um uh because every time i've started it's been an incredibly floundering experience full of frustration and agony and i every time i've gotten anywhere into it i've always decided i hated the game by the time i was mm. midway through it um i've never been able to stick with a game that i liked beyond 
the first like couple, you know, like I, even finishing writing it, like, like even in like the halfway process is like, as I try to explain it to people, they're like, oh, okay, sure. We'll do that. And I'm like, I hate it already. I, you, you don't, <laughs> like, I, I hate it as I'm saying it to you. This is terrible. <laughs> um, I hate myself for bringing it up. And yeah, kind of. And, uh, and the most, the most success I've had is hacking, um, Vincent Baker's apocalypse world. I've made two hacks. One is a Deadwood hack called Deadworld, and the other one is a a Battlestar Galactica hack called Apocalypse Galactica, or Apocalypse, yeah, Apocalypse Galactica. And um, those have both been a lot of fun, but but they took an enormous amount of work to do, and they're not anything I can ever call my game because the IP is owned by, like, a bazillion people. I mean, even if Vincent would say, yeah, go for it, make the game. You know, for Apocalypse Galactica, I'd have to get Sci-Fi Channel. I'd have to get Fantasy Flight Games. I'd have to get somebody else. I can't remember who else owns what parts of the IP. Universal, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and maybe Margaret Weiss because they got the they wrote a Battlestar Galactica role-playing game. I don't know mm-hmm. if they still have the license. They probably don't anymore because they don't keep them. But right, suffice to say, those people would never give me a license to do this thing, and no. and so I just released as a free hack, and you know, people. What about Dead World? <laughs> What? Dead World should be pretty. You'd be able to sort of like disguise that, wouldn't you? I mean, that's. Is there anything particular about that that would make it so that you couldn't pursue it further? A no, wild west? One? No, that's true. I, 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 mean, I could just say the the west, right? That mm, that is mm. true. Um, I don't know. I kind of like where I'm at with it. Like, I have the playbooks, and you can download them. Yep, SeanMitner.com if you want to get a hold of those. Yeah. Um, and and I still edit them and I still tweak them and I still people will tell me you misspelled this I'm like shit <laughs> then I go back and try to fix it and update them Apocalypse Galactic I've done way more work with um, yeah but that like, game is so awesome thank you thank you but like it's been so much work just to do that and I can't imagine starting from scratch I mean oh I don't know how you did it Daniel I don't know anybody who makes games does it it's, yeah it's um so yeah you but the job you've got now. Um, it's probably even letting you see how the sausage is made even more, mm-hmm. right? Because when I sat down to write Victoria, I, I, there was a whole bunch of things that I didn't know. And I think probably that is important um, in some yeah, respects. Because you don't know, because I've used this, uh, I've, used, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Um, you know, it's only when you get to the top of the mountain that you see how high you've actually had to climb. You know, yeah. like you, you just got to, you just got to to do it, and then when it's done, then it's then it's done. But but you've seen the sausage, right? You can see all of the bits along the way, and you can yeah. see how you know. Bits are hard. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. kind of gross, really. Like, yeah. like <laughs> I love to eat sausage, but Jesus, well, there's so much <laughs> that you do that has to get cut away. Like, mm. like there's, I think there's so much that you're like, oh, this is awesome, and then you go, no, that doesn't actually work, and you cut away, and maybe. No work is ever wasted because even if you cut it away, you'll use it later, or it'll be an inspiration yeah. for something later, or it'll teach you something. But goddamn, is it frustrating to throw out your work? You know, like yeah. even if you end up using it later in the now, you don't see that. You just see, fuck, I built this thing, and now I have yeah. to throw it away. I hate you yeah. all. Um, I just don't think I need that level of frustration and agony and, <laughs> and yeah. suffering. Like I, I'd love to make a game, and someday I might. But I really seeing your name on the cover of a book that you wrote is something that you, you know. Sorry, it's all worth. It's when you see your name on the cover of a book that you wrote. That's 
that's that's the payoff but but yeah absolutely like the amount of stuff there's a quote that i put in the book which is sort of like a um what i had to keep in mind when i decided to um get rid of a lot of stuff that i wrote in victoria which was there's a quote by a sort of a um a commentator on the victorian uh period a guy by the name of Lytton uh and i don't know if he's strachey or or strachey whether it's a science but anyway his yeah. thing was uh we will never uh the and i'm paraphrasing to a degree here the history of the victorian period will never be written we know too much about it yeah. um which is another way of saying that like, there's no th there's no way that i could sum up the victorian period and here i am trying to lay this foundation for the victorian period and i'm like it just the, this the role-playing book's not the place to do this so yeah. thousands and thousands tens of thousands of words just disappeared from the and, and it took a long time to write it but like you say it's never really wasted because it informs decisions and and turns of phrase and stuff you use later on but that was that was the hardest part probably i'm like you know what this all has to go this took months but it all it all has to go and that's yeah, that would that, uh, yeah that would be very hard for me um Someday, if I'm very inspired by something, maybe. Uh, maybe Sean will make his cyberpunk <laughs> Shadowrun, um, his Shadowrun uh, Apocalypse World hack, and I will help him with that. And maybe, you know, something I have... there will happen. Hold on. We, hold we on, almost wrote a game in the car ride up to PAX last year. Oh, there you go. It's sitting. Oh, I just dropped some of it. I was scrolling things on like cards in yeah, the car. Yeah, like like this is it right now. Right, I just like this. scrolled notes from Sean and I talking about it. So maybe if we drive to PAX again, ten more times, we'll make a game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Trapped in a car. Yeah, uh, I I actually had an idea for a game that I'll never make. Uh, the other night, I was I was on another person's podcast, uh, and I was like, man, it would be cool to have like. Uh, like a Yeep Form style LARP that you could play online. Like you just make YouTube videos and and have one of those situations like the old story about all the dudes that are in bunkers that have to hit the button at a certain time uh, that all chat with each other like over the video screen. Uh, and if they if somebody doesn't push the button, then the world ends. Uh, and then turn that into a a uh, a virtual LARP that you play via YouTube videos. Uh, <laughs> You'll never <laughs> totally never do that. No. Yeah. yeah, that sounds awesome, dude. So, when, when are you gonna do this thing? Yeah, never, never. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving that out for free to somebody more talented and dedicated. I uh, think you could the, do it as just like a, as like a constantly maintained Google Hangout. Like someone oh has God. to carry the torch. Like oh, no one can oh. ever close that Hangout. No. You, you uh, yeah, except, to... except Hangouts have a built-in time limit. They do. That's, that's the only. That's the only thing. And like, it's it. It kind of defeats the purpose for me if it's not like if you if you wind up without the record, right? Right. right. No, that's what I'm thinking. The hangout on air, but that 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 can only be maintained by the person who starts it, and there's a time limit. So yeah. yeah. What is the time limit? I, I was not aware of this. I've obviously not come up against it, but uh, I believe it is four hours because it will cut you off right about the end of an RPG session. Oh, is yeah. that right? Okay. Yes. You go, Lynch. Yeah, because uh, when when we were when we were uh, when we were live streaming our our Burning Wheel campaign, uh, there was there was a couple of times when we'd be like, we haven't quite gotten to the end of the session, but it just cut us off. So, right. <laughs> uh, so talking about killing your babies, um, let's talk about 
a baby that's definitely not going to be killed anytime soon. Uh, my favorite convention, Big Bad Con, Sean Nitnigo. Yay, thank you. Yeah, I hope it's not a convention that's going to be killed anytime soon. So uh, I'm super excited about Big Bad Con. Um, right now is when I'm going to start hitting GMs up for submissions uh, because I think people have a real hard time thinking about, like I'm thinking about Big Bad Con for the last six months. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I've practically been thinking about it since the last one finished. Um, and so it's on my mind and I want like everyone to already sign up and r- submit their games and be making a schedule now. But I know that's not a reality. Like people are thinking about other conventions first and, and I got to wait till um, July, August to really start expecting the, 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 the significant amount of them. But there are some cool things like every year I feel like I do something new. That's very cool. And mm. that's, that's part of what really excites me. Like the first year, Sean and Kristen and our good friend Gnome and some dude we totally didn't know uh, <laughs> formed a band, the Imperial Academy Dropouts, and they played all this nerd rock for us. And like, I was like, you don't see that at conventions, but I'm totally doing it at mine because I'm drunk. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty sweet. It was a blast. It was, it was really sweet. Um, and, then, uh, and then we had the Big Bad GM competition, and that went really well. People were really excited about it. And then last year we added the Improv for Gamers workshop, which, like, to my knowledge, we're the only ones doing this. Like, it's a workshop, it's an improv workshop tailored specifically for gaming, you know? And mm-hmm. I think people have made connections between improv and gaming a million times, but I don't think they've actually got an improv instructor who, like, mm-hmm. teaches improv to come teach gamers how to do it. For, yes. Who also is now a gamer. Like, I've converted Mia. Well, actually, mm, not nice. I've converted Mia. Karen has converted Mia. Um, Karen is my girlfriend. She's also an improver. She's also a gamer. Mia was an improv instructor who was not a gamer and is now a gamer and now teaches. The two of them now teach the, uh, the thing. So I'm like, I, I mean, I think it's it, in, it, as niche as it is, it makes total sense. And it's the only place that you can find it. Um, mm. So I'm very excited about that. And then that was last year. And then this year, the big edition, which is not unique, but it's still something that I'm super excited about, is uh, Jared Sorensen is going to be coming and running, you know, con-wide parsley games. Like, I'm going to oh, clear out be so fun. <laughs> one, of the giant, one of the giant rooms and set up just a bunch of chairs and a mic. Sean, can I borrow your PA system? Uh, yes. Okay, I'll be yeah, setting up absolutely. a mic. Uh, and, and, uh, and Jared can run uh, giant parsley games. So, uh, what's a parsley episode. game for those people uh, that don't oh, know? Yeah, uh, it's it's a live action text adventure, like uh, you know, Return to Dark Castle or whatever, where you yeah, Zork, uh, yeah, yeah Thirsty Nellon. Sorry, the Thirsty Nellon. That was the that was the yep. first uh, game uh, of those that I played. Like this yes. cat that you need to fit Thirsty Nellon there. Um, yeah, and uh, it's 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 text adventure role playing. Pretty, yeah. It's pretty awesome. It's exactly what it sounds like, too. You you give commands like go north. Yeah. Oh, right, and, it's, right, and right. it's fun when you get like 40, 50 people in a line going up there, and then like person number 39 kills everybody. Right. And you have to start over from the beginning. And you're screaming at them because you're like, don't attack the troll, you dumbass. We don't have the sword yet. I was, what I, are I, you doing? I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I was that person uh, the first year. Like when 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 Jared first started doing that, and Jared has the best like I can't believe you just did that disappointed face, like <laughs> like <laughs> I, can just, I, yeah, I gave that. him a stu- stupid uh, a stupid answer, and he just goes, 
and sends you to the back of the line. It's it's <laughs> it's humiliating, but it's it's hilarious. Yeah. And for those of you that want to have a little bit more information about uh, improv and uh, gaming, if you listen to episode three of Penny Red, which features Karen, uh, the Karen which Sean was just talking about, um, then you can certainly hear a lot lot more about that. Okay, so we've got um, we're going to pass the game. We've got the uh, improv for gamers. Have you got uh, have you got anybody in particular? Who's running things there, or maybe promoing or introing yeah. uh, things well, there? Or um, so so Big Bad GM, which is our competition that we've been doing every year, uh, which is you know four GMs come in and they they each get secret ingredients that they don't know in advance. It's like Iron Chef, and then they have to run a four hour impromptu fate game. Um, it's always been very popular, and uh, I'm really excited about it. This year, Fate Core will be out. And I am going to get as many signatures as I can on a fake core book. Right. I'm going to get Fred's. I'm going to get Lenny's. I'm going to get Mike's. I'm going to get um, Ryan's. I'm going to get my own. I get uh, probably much I'm going to see if I can get Jeremy's. Um, and then I'm going to get that of every single judge that was there and all the other GMs that lost. Right. And so it will be like a yearbook. Right, right. Fake core. Right. Like, like everyone will have something to say for the for the winner for the winning uh, GM. So you know, in the past, they've gotten a pin that said like "You're the big bad GM." Um, now they're going to get a like one of a kind fake copy of Fake Core um, if, if, if they win. And I also have like some seriously hardcore contestants this time. Um, Brian Hitchcock is running mock Big Bad GM games where he sits down in front of a table people and says give me three secret ingredients and i'll run a game right now like he's oh, wow. doing it like on the fly uh games in preparation i mean i'm nice. blown away so that's super exciting um as far as people running things jason morningstar is going to be there running both tabletop and larp um uh, jared will be running a few other games that are uh he'll be, he'll be running free market and um has 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 that gone on the schedule yet? Because I will just open that tab right now. It, oh, well, the schedule isn't made yet, so it's oh, okay. posted, but there's no no schedule. Yes, it is. It is posted in, in the events. Josh Roby is going to be running a steampunk larp uh, that looks super cool. Um, uh, oh, Chris Bennett is doing aw- something awesome. It will be the 50th anniversary of JFK's assassination, and so he's running. Uh, he's running the uh, 63 playset, the basically the JFK. Oh, nice. Uh, and he's running three games of it um, all at the same time. Um, and then in the twist, they're going to be swapping elements from the three games. Uh, he's done this at Go Play Northwest in the past, and he said it was fantastic. And um, so there's going to be some additional confusion uh, with that. So I'm really excited about Bennett's massive like three table fiasco game um uh there's there's a ton of others i I highly recommend going to bigbadcon.com forward slash events and checking them out we already have a just i mean there's already like 50 or 60 games listed and that's Mm. honestly just the early birds like daniel doesn't even have his game up there uh, not even me. Not Let's even me. I was going to say, I, have, I haven't submitted my games yet. Where's either. Victorian Prometheus? Where's right. your that, Well, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's on the schedule for this evening is booking those tickets and, and painting. Yeah, so tell um, me, who's you, tell us about your, who we're, who, um, who's going to benefit from the con, apart from all the people that attend, obviously. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So the con supports three different charities. Uh, one is my left pocket. One is my right pocket. No. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, it's. Oh, thank uh, goodness you stopped there because I, I was uh, as soon as you started saying that, I started remembering the the the, the first Dirty Harry movie where he, he uh, where he blows away the the prostitute at the start. I won't give it away for you, but suffice to say, it didn't finish with the left pocket and right pocket. But anyway, um, right. so go uh, ahead. Uh, so, so uh, there's multiple ways in which the con benefits several charities. Um, proceeds from a uh, portion of the proceeds from the dealers' room from um, Endgame will be going to Child's Play, uh, which is a awesome charity to put uh, games in the hands of kids that are in hospitals, which is just so cool because kids in hospitals. Uh, it's hospitals. I worked in a hospital. It's a super, super, super depressing place to be. Um, and, and kids having games makes their lives much, much better. Um, uh, proceeds from the ticket sales go to uh, Doctors Without Borders. Um, and uh, Doctors Without Borders is like one of the highest rating, like good conscience charities out there because so much of the money you give, I mean, it's like 87%. It's an Bro, incredible amount. Yeah. Goes directly to aid and relief. And, and they're so low, the administrative costs are so low and the, um, the cost that they have to pay their, 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 the people that get the donations, you know, the, the, right. um, the gift uh, department, the development department is so low that they just, so much of it is going directly to, you know, literally doctors saving people across the world. Yes. Um, which, I mean, I think is like doctors and firefighters are kind of like the closest thing we have in this world to heroes. Like they do, they go, I mean, they go and do dangerous things, especially in like foreign countries and, and things like that um, to save lives. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And then we have food barrels for the Alameda County community food bank. Um, we ask that everybody who attends brings some non-perishable food. Last year we collected over 400 pounds of food, which was double what we'd done the year before. I hoping to, you know, Increased by the same increment. I'm hoping to get 600 pounds this year, right. um, and uh, that feeds uh, so many people in in Alameda County. And uh, the Bay Area is a wonderful, wonderful place, but it is an area with a made with a lot of homelessness and a lot of people that are hungry. Right. Um, and uh, this helps a lot of, of folks out in a very you know in a very like constructive building uh, kind of way. So uh, yeah, so if you are considering um, coming to the con, know that uh, a, a, a very significant portion of the money that you spend on the con itself will be going to doing these good things. So, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's win, win, win. Um, and so, talking about food, Sean, tell me about the food thing. I, I don't like to bring that up. I won't bring that up last because I know it's your least favorite thing. But uh, go, tell us about the, the least food. favorite thing. Well, so both years, I would say. Worse the second year, the, the, the biggest complaint was about food. Um, and the, the two reasons for that are that the hotel food is extremely slow and the service is poor and that other food is not close by. Mm. So um, I, 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 I have not done as much on this front as I would like to. Um, I talked to the hotel a lot about bringing food trucks into the parking lot. They nixed that. I talked to them about putting food trucks uh, across the street. They, they could not actually stop me from doing that, but they did say that they, there's no parking there and they would report them. You know, like they were, they very much said that they did not want that. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, have contemplated bringing food in, uh, but they have, I, I couldn't do that above board. And so I don't want, like I, I would have to sneak it in 
Um, yes. I, so I don't want to do that. Um, so uh, I asked them if they could put like a, a, a table of chafing dishes out with food. But unfortunately, we don't we haven't quite hit that like minimum quantity threshold where it would make sense. Like it would cost me so much that the con yes. would not only not be profitable, which it again really just needs to be to support. Well, exactly. Make sure the con right, continues. Yeah. It would be it would it would be in the red by a lot. So yes. there's no financially feasible way for me to have them bring out food. Right. Um, I would effectively be almost like just feeding people for free at that point. I like right. I would be better off just giving people food at that You're point. Taking yeah. stuff out right. of the food bank. Um. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so so anyway, so I've told you all these challenges, but um. But so what I've got them to do is they have uh, reduced the prices somewhat uh, from last year. So they're closer to what they were first year because they had bumped them up quite a bit last year. Right. Um, and they've, they've expanded the menu. And they've, uh, this time they've added on three additional staff during the, kind of, during the hours where we have breaks right. in the game. Right. So um, I'm very much hoping that um, the food options at the con are uh, better service you know, better customer service and also quicker and more options. Um, and I, and I, the reason I brought that up was um, I wanted to um, sort of say that um, that if that's the worst thing you have to deal with um, at a convention, then that's a sort of a testament to how much of the stuff is nailed down and how enjoyable um, the convention is. So if you're only going to go to one convention this year, then then you'd be crazy not to make it uh, big bad con because in addition to um, all of the things that Sean does to make sure that it runs smoothly, um, he d the games themselves are really the most important thing. So tell, can you tell us a little bit about um, you know how people sign up for games and how you um, go about making sure that everything that's there is going to be to somebody's liking? Yeah, well, part of it is that... Um... I know a lot of really great GMs. Um, part of it is from attending a lot of conventions myself and keeping a, a really sharp eye out on like who mm. I like um, and who I've had great experiences with. Um, you know, Daniel, I met you by playing in one of your games, and I was like, and the funny thing is, Victoria is not really like my kind of game, honestly. No, no, I discovered subsequently. I'm like, wow, that's uh, um, Sean must be gritting his teeth. But then you invited me to uh, to no, run no, it. So that's the thing is that Daniel, your game was. A blast! Like it, it's it's not like my like my wheelhouse, but I had such a good time playing it, and 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 I attribute that to you being. I mean, I think this the uh, again the system isn't like my, necessarily my style, but I didn't have any issues with it. But mm. my experience was that you were fantastic, and I loved, and and you also just seemed like a generally great guy. So you know, I wanted to hang out. Very perceptive, very perceptive. <laughs> so we, you know, we so we spent time at Gen Con together, and then I was yes. super elated that you were. Uh, you'd come to, to Big Bad. Um, so uh, so a lot of it is just finding great GMs. Um, mm. uh, part, some of it is asking, you know, knowing what's in demand and asking for that. Like, like Burning Wheel games and Apocalypse World games will always be in demand uh, in the, the crowd of, you know, that, I, that I'm attracting, which is a lot of indie gamers. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so making sure that we seed it with plenty of those. Yeah. Um, there, there's actually a really strong push, a growing uh, push in the con for Pathfinder uh, as well. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed I, uh, Battlefield uh, Battlefield 2000 was it? Was Battlefield 2000 was in there? 
Uh, yeah, no, Twilight Two Thousand. Sorry, Twilight Two Thousand. That's that. You can't trust that though. That's Dennis Jordan, and uh, Dennis <laughs> takes Dennis takes really old school crunchy games and then completely hippifies them with you know right. makes them into like fate hacks of everything. So uh, yeah, there is Twilight Two Thousand. It, it it will not play out like the Twilight Two Thousand <laughs> fifteen years ago, uh, which I loved by the way when I played it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. that I would today. Uh, right. So I think I, I think I get excellent GMs running excellent games, and then once the uh, once all the games are in, then we I schedule them all, um, and then when game signups go, you you sign up online so you know exactly what you're in before you arrive, um, and then when I see like oh this game filled up instantly, like free market filled up in half a second. Um, yes. then I look at that GM and I say, Hey, will you run another session of it so that there's more openings or I'll yep. look to another GM and say, Hey, will you run, um, another session of that game? And so I keep trying to provide, uh, uh, games that are what, what people want to, yep. to play. Um, yep. and I think it works really well. People. Yes. yes a, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, I can call, I can uh, testify to the, the quality of, of the games that there are there, but you also uh, offer open gaming too, which is, I mean, in some instances, it's kind of like the drag, you know, like you go on there and you've got some guy that really wants to play a game, but, but can't find somebody to, to play it. So if they hang out in open gaming, it's possible that it'd be an entice a couple of people along to, to play the game, but that's definitely not the case of big bad con. No, I, I, I ask for people to do games on demand. And again, the, like the, the caliber of the gems that I've gotten have been fantastic. And um, we had uh, three tables running last year. We'll see how many, how many sign up this year. We might expand that. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, so the, the games on demand room was, was fantastic. And then the, the, the only part of the game, the con that is not like, like heavily organized and controlled and monitored by me, uh, the open game room where people can go play card games or board games or role playing games or whatever they want to do. Um, uh, it seems to like like somehow magically all on its own, cool people get together with cool games and they make cool things happen. Like mm. I, I love, I don't, I don't control that at all. It just does its thing, and uh, and I've really enjoyed seeing the games that have popped up there. And I got this fantastic idea from Kublicon this year. Which is that it's really awkward to try and get people into your games. You're like, hey, I'm running again. Hey, I'm. Hey, you want to play in my game? I mean, it's just it's it's like it's like being hit on by a prostitute or something. Like that. It's just awkward. <laughs> like nobody wants to be part of it. You don't want to be. You don't want to be asking people to play in your just games. like that. I'll take and your word for it. <laughs> it happened to me in Vegas at um, Neon Con, and it was so hilarious and awkward. I was like, no, no, not interested. And she kept following me around. It was really weird. Um, I had to do it, it was like 3 in the morning, and I had to do an interview for a, for a different podcast. Right. And she followed me into my room, and I'm like, this is not happening. And she wouldn't leave me alone. I went into my room. I grabbed my podcast gear, and I started walking out. She's like, aren't we going to stay and have some sexy time? I'm like, no, we're not. Um, I'm going to go do an interview now. I'll see you later. It was, it was, it was extremely awkward. <laughs> uh, so to avoid that, uh, I, just, I stole this idea from KublaCon, which is that they have these – they have these flags that you put on a table that says you go, you're looking for players. Right. I think it's brilliant because as a player, you feel really awkward walking up to a game being like, hey, can I play with you guys? Like, you don't mm -hmm. know if they're mm -hmm. looking for people. Right, and right. As a GM or player in a game that you're looking for more players, you feel awkward asking people. And this is a really 
obvious flag where you're just like, oh, hey, look, there's a flag on that table. They're looking for players. Let's go see what they're doing. And then you can say, hey, what are you guys playing? And they're like, we're playing this game you hate. And you're like, okay, cool. You guys have fun with that. I'll, I'll do something else. <laughs> or they're saying we're playing this game that sounds awesome. And then you jump in it. And they take the flag down and you play. So nice. I'm, I'm stealing that. I'm really excited about that. I a, can I, am I allowed to make a suggestion for the flags? Sure. If you, uh, you, could, you could also, like if you've got there with a friend, you want to play a game together, and you could put like if you want two players, you could put two flags up or some weight in your so make it numerical. So, like yeah, if you're I've there... been looking at at whether or not like you I want to differentiate between like a flag that has like you know board game player wanted, RPG player wanted. Well, we get, or... you could get really sophisticated flags now. They could be like almost indecipherable and defeat the purpose. That's yeah, right. So... Like if you if you see a flag flying upside down and it half masked, <laughs> then then you know they're playing D anD D four. Right. So I don't, I, um, I, I'm, I'm really weighing the value of how much data I want to communicate through the flag or whether it's just, no, seriously, I've been thinking about this, Daniel, or whether it's just best to just be like, it's a flag, a flag's a flag. Like they just used orange flags that were really bright and vibrant. And I would want mine like with the big bad con logo on them or something, but then I have to pay for that to be printed. So I might just have, Orange. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I confess to be to setting you up there a little bit. Um, so let's get to the important bit, which is uh, people can find more information out about this at bigbadcon.com, right? Yes. And so what's the date? Um, and uh, yeah, what do people need to do? Here's the vitals. Uh, the date is October 4th to the 6th. Uh, if you want to attend, you want to sign up now by going to the site and clicking on sign up. The ticket price for the weekend is 40 bucks. Um, there's also a link on the site to book a room. If you're staying in the area, you want to book a room again now because mm. the room rate will only be good until September 21st, I think. Yep. Um, and then the room rate goes up quite a bit. The hotel drops their rate for us um, almost in half. Uh, yes. Like 170 normally, and, and it's 99. Yeah, yeah. It's a good deal. Rate. There's no question about that. So, and it's a nice hotel. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 definitely worth it. So you wanna you wanna sign up now and you wanna yeah. get a room now and the reason yes. why is a the rooms will run out and b yes. uh, you wanna be signed up so that you can reg for games. Um, yes. If you have a badge, then come September seventh, once game reg goes live, you can click 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 and get in all the games you want. Um, yeah. uh, if you wait till the last minute, there will still be open gaming available. Yeah. There'll still be games yes. on demand. There'll still be some yes. games with openings, but you won't have as many choices. So. Yeah. Go do it yeah, go go sign up for that. Okay, right. So, do you have five more minutes? Should we just should we should we take a look at an oldie but a goodie in terms of uh, of games, and then uh, sign off for the evening? I got five minutes. I got five minutes. That's a figurative five minutes, of course. <laughs> ever, we were able to you know do the, anything in five minutes. You know the the Houdini song, Five Minutes of Funk. I, I don't, but let's pretend I let, yeah I don't. Tell me about the song. You, 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 I, I, I just think at some point you should re- memorize the lyrics to Five Minutes of Funk. It's quite clever, and uh, and then when you have five minutes, just start start singing that. Maybe not the whole five minutes of it, but the song takes five minutes. Um, it's a, if you're an old school rap fan, it's 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 definitely an oldie but a goodie. Uh, well, there you go. So check that out. It's probably on YouTube. Um, I'm sure. Five it is. minutes of funk. Uh, all right, so what do you got for us, Sean Nittner? All right, so my oldie but goodie um, is Zombie Cinema. Um, zombie Cinema is perhaps difficult to display on the the uh, 
Uh, vision. It's not really yeah. coming into focus, but it's worth noting that it's in a VHS case um, yes. because it's meant to be an old school zombie movie. So, right. you know, it's the kind of a kind of movie that you would get in a um, VHS case, and you wouldn't. The, the components in it are not the kind of thing you'd expect to find in a role playing game. They look they look a lot like board game components. Right. Um, and the reason why is because there is a distinct board game aspect to it. Um, so this card, which you can't really see, um, I mean, you could Sean's see Sean's holding up a, a card. looks like just slightly larger than a, than a, than a postcard. He's pulled all these things out of the uh, black. Um, oh, I forgot. I'm going to listen to this and not just see it. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I'm terrible. Um, so and a little bag this, of dice came out or, or counters. Right, and, and, and little pawns too. There's like, yes. little, there's like little pawns like you have for playing sorry, you know? Right. Um, and what they do is they designate, as you move through the game, it designates um, how close you are to escape uh, and to any of your characters surviving and how, much the zomb- how, how great the zombie threat is. And so your characters start at a certain point and they have to kind of traverse this thing. And as they start, it, it, it says things like, zombies appear only indirectly, rumors, delusions, a newscast, for example. So they talk about like a you know U.S. Navy gov- you know U.S. government food rations that have gone missing, um, and, and and you know radioactive experiments in the town next door, and and strange right. behaviors in the livestock, right? right. But they don't. Um, but it's all alluded to, and then as it progresses, the zombie threat becomes greater and greater till the point where it's like human community collapses completely. Only individuals might survive. So if you can kind of get through the game um, uh, quickly, then you might actually leave something of humanity behind. If you if you fail, you might all die, or very likely, if even if you survive, you leave the apocalypse behind you. Um, And and you you kind of progress through this by playing out scenes where you side with one person or another, and so it's all about like the it's all about the drama of the players against each other, like like who picks what side and like right. someone's like we should get a gun and go shoot him and someone's like that's crazy let's let's hide in the bunker and then you have a contest and you pick who you want to side with and that gives them some advantage if more people side with them and then they right. roll but whoever wins they kind of progress and they move along to getting a little closer to safety um it, it generally means that you know, few, if any, of you are going to survive, as right. as they should in a zombie movie. Right. Right. But the flavoring, the way the scenes are structured, the way it's like so, um, the way the way it's given so much structure around it, like it feels very much like a zombie movie. It right. plays in a couple hours, like it's shorter than your average RPG. It, it, right. it plays in about the length of a zombie movie, and or a movie, yes. and um, and it's super easy to start because you just hand somebody a couple cards and they'll say like chauvinistic lawyer, like those right. are your two cards. You're like, okay, that's right. my character. I'm gonna make something right. out of that. Um, right. Right. And and uh, yeah, it's it's a ton of fun. It's it's a great it's a great game for depicting zombie movies. Right. Okay. So, what, uh, do you know when it was published? Uh, I I will find out. I imagine it's in this the rule book, which is like seven pages. Right. Um, probably has that information. Uh, I am looking right. <laughs> Sean is describing exactly what he's doing. You can imagine him looking around on a, on a uh, on bits of on bits of paper. Yeah, um, it, you can hear it's it's just like rustle that. a little bit, rustle for cinema of the mind, Sean. 
There we go. There we go. Perfect. Excellent. It's been rustled. Um, I'm just going to look it up on eBay right now. What's that? Sorry. 2008. 2008. Okay. So, uh, is it still uh, is it still available for sale? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I will look it up right now. You you can talk about it, um, and I will uh, look it up. Yeah. So, um, this game is one of the first games um, in in my experiences that did something that I think all uh, games should do. It's something we've started doing at uh, Evil Hat. which is that if you look on the Evil Hat product pages, every game, every role-playing game listed has the number of hours expected for a typical session, the number of players right. expected, the right. age that we recommend, and the, and, the, um, and the cost of the game, just like you'd see on any board game. You know, every board game says number of players, age, yep. uh, yes. length, of, length of game, and cost, right? Right. Um, and I just think every game should have that information spelled clearly out. Well... Zombie Cinema was one of the very first that did that. So, you know, again, for the listeners, you're not going to see this. For the viewers, maybe you could see that. In the back of the thing, it says, you know, three to six players, 12 and up, 30 minutes per player. Um, and I think that that kind of information, uh, it also has a little bit of a few other things. It says complexity low, language English, genre horror type story game. Like, I think that kind of information is, is information that every game should have because I don't necessarily want to read 50 pages of your game to figure out right. what it's all about. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 I like to, and, I, and I really like to know how long a game takes. Like, yes, yeah. Um, like I, I seriously don't want to jump into a game and find out that it's an eight-hour game an hour yeah. into it. That's, yes, that's a yeah. major yeah. problem for me. So. Yeah. So I like this. I really like that it, it, it's up front. It tells you what it's all about. The rules yep. are very streamlined. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic little game. Uh, did you find out if it's still available? I did. I'm about to tell everybody now. It's like made by Arkenstone Publishing, which I guess is a, is a call out to the uh, Arkenstone spoilers uh, that's in uh, Smog or Smaug's chest, um, which is where um, – yeah, anyway, I uh, won't even spoil it. Um, so uh, – and it's by, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but I'll give it a show. Is it uh, Yero uh, Tuovenen? Um, uh, and it's from, uh, you can still buy it. Um, you can buy it for, I'll tell you how much it is right now. I'm, I, this is uh, June the 21st, the summer solstice, um, uh, 2013. So if you're listening to this some other time, then uh, all I can say to you is that right now, it's uh, 20 euros plus three and a half euros in postage. I'm going to guess that means to go in Europe somewhere, um, but uh, I could be wrong. In any case, uh, there are other games also by Ark and Stone. Um, you get the World of Nier, um, Solar System, and that looks like it. So anyway, you can check them out at arkenstonepublishing.net um, to find out more information about the stuff that they're uh, about uh, what they're producing. So, can you tell me? Um, we've got a sort of a list of things that we that we run through here at, uh-huh. uh, on the on the on the podcast when we talk about another game. So, uh, what kind of media would this game be good fit for? Well, obviously, zombie stuff. Can you see adapting it to anything? As the, you said, it was mostly about the characters. Could it be adapted to some other sort of backdrop? Uh, I think any kind of. Um... 
any kind of uh, apocalypse type game. It could be so like it could totally be a Cloverfield game where the monster right. is at first in the distance and then eventually like destroying everything. Right. Um, uh, it could be you know an epidemic kind of game where disease is breaking out. Uh, right. First, you just hear about them, and you know. Um, yep. So any kind of like game where your support structure, your the, the safety net around you that you you take for granted as part of being like in a civilized country, just erodes over the course of the of a single game. Right. Uh, I think it would be great for that. You know. Um, so like a sinking ship, or maybe a ruptured submarine, something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh yeah, totally. I think like a mutinous, like a would be mutinous uh, submarine. Right. Where if ever if it blows up, you're all dead, and yep. even Pirates, if it doesn't, perhaps? you could all die. <laughs> uh yeah yeah certainly uh especially like a uh, a hunted pirate ship that is yes. like becoming increasingly more surrounded by privateers like right, right. you know at first you're thinking oh we're these badass pirates but then eventually it's just like um you know you're overwhelmed by right. privateers um Except? yeah yeah okay. I, and, and, and you know mostly it's about like the choices the characters make as they do it um yeah. and and how they get into you know arguments sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, what can you think of anything that might have influenced? Is there anything that's if you uh, like something that might have uh, caused it to be? Yeah, it says on the back, inspired by George Romero and The Night of the Living Dead. Right. Anything so, games wise? Yeah. Any games that share similar DNA that might be a, a nice sort of step for people that you are aware well, of at least? It's uh, it reminds me a lot of Monster Twelve Forty Four. Uh, which is a game set with a very specific scenario, which is that you are members of a, a heretical religion, the Cathars, right. and um, you are basically your city is besieged, um, and you basically tell the story of the siege and how you are going to fail at surviving. Like it's it's, it's the story <laughs> of your doom, right? And, right? and in the end, you have to ask the question. Um, Will you uh, will you die or will you burn for your will you burn for your beliefs, which is you will literally be thrown into a fire and burn alive, mm -hmm. or will you convert? Right. And I think there's a little bit of sh shared thing in there is that in that it uh, is at the, in that twelve Montsegur and this and also which through a Delinden's farm like we played yeah 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 at Big yep. last year. Yeah. Um, uh, has a like a, a set center progression um, in yes. zombie cinema. It's more like the kind of scenes that happen, right. whereas in whereas in Monsieur, it's more the specific acts acts that happen. But it's, right. it's still like showing you as your doom is encroaching. And um, finally, I've never played it, but I have looked at it, and I just don't have the temperament for it. But but Jason Morningstar's Gray Ranks um, right. is is the story of you know children soldiers in poland is this being invaded and um kind of their eventual demise right um, right and 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 so i think any of those games that uh you're kind of playing towards your doom um roanoke is another oh, game yeah. wushu uh where where the game starts off by saying like the isle of roanoke is a mystery everyone on it disappeared what happened right. and you kind of right. play out that everybody disappearing uh, so you know right. in advance that like the best scenario you could go for is that you all flee the island. You know, like mm. that's that's best case. You know, right. you don't know what worst case is really. But right. Um, so yeah. So those I think those games kind of have a similar kind of play map. Right. Um, and can, can you think of anything that it's influenced or anything that's obviously been influenced by it subsequently? You know, I've heard some game designers talk about it uh, as a as a cool game. Um, I know that, like like I said, I think 
we're doing this this thing on the back now where, where with Evil Hat, all of our games are now being marked like it is. I mean, this is the first game I saw that was like this, where they marked how many players and how long and how much, you know, mm. what age. Um, yeah. Even though it's a really standard board and card game convention, I think it's it's yeah. very atypical for role-playing games. Um, so we certainly gathered that. Um, I, I don't know of any role-playing games that can Nothing say that this is its grandfather, though. Yeah. Or its okay, father. No, fair enough. All right, so length of character creation versus life expectancy. Now, you've sort of talked about life expectancy, but and to, so from showing up and somebody saying, we're going to play this game, to you actually doing your first thing in character, how, how long? Um, so, so life expectancy, it's worth, it's worth clarifying that life expectancy is, um, generally the, the course of the game. Your characters are not usually going to die until the end of the game. Um, uh, 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 character creation, there's three decks of cards called, uh, uh, cinema cards. Um, they're of three different colors, uh, red, yellow, and green. You take a card from each deck. And that is your character. So I'm going to randomly draw one right now from each deck, and I will tell you that my character is. Let's see if I've got them. I've, I'm looking at them. Um, is uh, macho, mm-hmm. uh, filled with lust and greed, lust or greed, and wants a, uh, I want safe elsewhere. Uh, I was safe elsewhere, and now disaster. Do I know what to expect? Do I know what's going on? I'm in better shape than some. Right. Uh, I know okay, what's cool. going on. That's yeah. that's that's my character. So there's a macho, greedy person who once was safe and thinks that they're in the know and thinks that they're kind of better than everyone else and right. and uh, or, or better prepared than everyone else. Um, right. I can already imagine that that kind of like douchey uh, <laughs> douchey guy that's like, well, I got a penthouse, I can get us out of here. Like thinks that he's in the, he thinks he's, that he's safe, thinks that he's got power. Um, right. We're looking out for number one. So that was character creation. Everybody draws three cards and they, right. they describe a character based off of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have saw a few posts on G Plus by Jason Morningstar um, recently. Um, well, this looked to me like a similar sort of uh, character creation thing where you turn over two cards, you're going to put them together to make a, a character. So I don't know if that's necessarily... Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, Carolina Deathcrawl. Um, right. That's his new game, which I just got. I am the first uh, owner of these cards because right. I heard about it and... I bought them, and I was customer number zero. Um, oh, nice. Oh, nice. I, I literally bought them, like, 15 seconds after Jason tweeted it. Right, um, right. It was just good timing. But, yeah, so this game is – so you were talking about, you know, children of it. Like, this right. game has two cards. One – well, there's a bunch of cards, but one – a left and a right side card, and one of them tells you your first name, and the other one tells you your last name. The, the first one tells you your rank, and the second one tells you what unit you serve in. Right. The first one tells you one descriptor, like veteran, um, yes. and uh, like a, a, a potentially a positive thing, and then the second one tells you a negative thing, like imposter or deserter. Right. Um, and then the the first one tells you uh, something like choose between your honor and your duty, uh, be a leader, and have men follow you straight to hell if necessary. And then right. the, the right. second one asks you a question, like what is your debt, and how can your character, how can the character to your left help you repay it? Right. So there's all this like kind of information about your character, and then when you do certain things, I don't know what those are yet because I haven't read all the rules to it. You flip it over to like the bloody side, yes, uh, where there's blood splattered all over it, and um, 
and it has different information there. So um, cool. This this is a competitive role playing game where probably I think only one of you will survive the Carolina mm. Death Pearl. Awesome. Uh, which I think is interesting. Like I yes. haven't played a lot of competitive games. Zombie Cinema is a little competitive, but once you kind of figure out how to how the system works, you realize your best bet is to alternately fight and agree with people. Like if you yes. always fight with people you will fail, and if you always agree you will fail, you have to kind of spice it. You have to kind of pick and choose. Um, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know the mechanics of Carolina Death Call yet. I've read them, basic rules a tiny bit, but I haven't really processed it enough to, to know um, the actual gameplay, so. Right, okay. Um, anything particular about um, uh, interesting ideas, systems, or concepts, something that's really unique uh, to it, well, I, th I think probably we've covered that. Also, you know, there's that cards for creating the um, the character at the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the very structured scene framing. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I think the board is probably like the big, the big thing. Like as far as role playing games, who 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 uses a like a board for moving right. the game along? Yeah, right. yeah, because it controls the pacing, it controls the mood and the the ambiance, it controls what can be in a scene. It's right. it really, it really, it, it's the it's the engine that makes the game happen in the time that's supposed to happen. Right, and uh, that's sort of the, leads me to the last thing, which is something that Sean uh, and I've been talked about before, which is how is non-combat interaction dealt with? Because that was really a, a thing that we identified was not well done um, in a in a well, I don't want to say a lot of games, but that was something that really set games apart at least as far as I felt, is how much emphasis is there on making the combat really um, accurate or at least really crunchy, and how much is there uh, dedicated to figuring out social interactions? And I um, guess that, that's mostly about social. All conflicts are resolved exactly identically, which is both people roll a die, and if you're helping... So if, like, let's say... Okay, let, let's say the Shans are on one side of a combat. Right. right. Well, because that, that only makes sense. And the Daniels disagree. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so the Shans would each roll a die, and Daniel would uh, roll a die, and whoever had the highest one wins the conflict. Right. And so the Shans have a higher chance of winning because we're rolling two dice. But right. if Daniel right. wins, then both of us get hit hard. I mean, both right. of us get hit. So since you're trying to kind of trying to all survive, yes, it it, it is it is more a detriment to the overall survivability of the players for Daniel to win because now there's two players that have gotten closer to being eaten rather than one player that's getting closer to being eaten. Right, right. And when you move ahead, you can help someone out. So, like, you know, if we won, then both of us would advance and you'd go back. But one of us, if we were generous, could go back so that you advance, so that you Caught back, yes. up, we got caught back up, and then the net result of all of that would be that one of us stayed in the same place, you stayed in the same place, and one of us got ahead, and we would inch ahead a little bit. Yes, right? like, yeah, I see. Like yeah. that's that's like maybe like the smartest way to play the game, but that's of course never what, what happens. I mean, people just like, <laughs> no, I want the gun. No, we're gonna flee. No, you know, um, it's very petty often, and and sides don't get formed intelligent. You know, don't get formed with the best chances right. of escaping in mind. They get formed with what people how the people align themselves. And even if I have three dice and you have one, like we could still all roll poor. It's just whoever has the highest number. So the granularity there is very small, you know? Right. Uh, and then you just describe how you win the conflict, you know, and you can yeah. use your, your, you can use your character, little character cards uh, as inspiration, or you can use events that have happened in the game as inspiration. 
or the role playing that you got you up to the point of the conflict is inspiration, but then you win that conflict and move on to the next scene. Right. And so. all players, no facilitator, or is there a facilitator or something? Uh, all players, yeah. Right. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I, unless anybody's got anything else they want to uh, to bring up, like uh, I think that that is going to be Penny Red for uh, this week. Anything from else from the Shawns? I got nothing. I've I. <laughs> <laughs> you've been I you've listened so for well. a while yeah <laughs> you did and, and, and i'm okay with that oh there you go well how very magnanimous of you um, i was blabbing a whole lot <laughs> that's that's okay that's what guests do it's hard to shut them up sometimes um so <laughs> there's a mute button there's <laughs> <laughs> true yes i'm going to mute sean Nittner right now watch his lips move let's see how long he does it for um anyway so uh check back again uh with us Sean, so that we could get some more information about Big Bad Con as, uh, as things um, start to solidify in terms of who's signed up oh, for what and what games. Oh, I want to, I want to, I want to put out one thing. Hey, Luke, come to my freaking con. <laughs> Have fun with your games. Don't be afraid of people. Don't think you're going to be, uh, you're going to get in trouble for, uh, for doing things uh, one way or the next. And if you want to see what a great guy Luke Crane is, come along to Big Bad Con if we can encourage him to. Uh, if, if we can encourage him. If we can, right. if we can, he was there last year. This is me now exerting social pressure on you. <laughs> good. Oh, good. We've managed to tie up all the Lucians. Thank you very much, uh, Sean Nutner. So thanks for being on the show, Sean. Um, and it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from, from other Sean. Yeah. <laughs> and until next week, keep talking the walk.